Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Danny. Hello. Something brought me a lot of joy on Twitter this week. A uh, Twitter account called Fandom tweeted that, uh, well, John Hammond done an interview on Ellen DeGeneres' show uh, where he was talking about, he's promoting this new movie called Tag, um, in which him and Jeremy Renner and a bunch of other people play a uh, group of uh, people in their like 40s who have been playing the same game of tag as the americans call it i believe we refer to it as it over here yes for like 20 years or something it's a kind of knockabout slapstick comedy and in that interview ham reveals that apparently jeremy renner will have cgi arms in tag <laughs> because he broke both of his arms on set on, on day three of production that's oh that God. was that's how this is phrased in the tweet jeremy renner will have <laughs> he will have cgi arms in tag uh, when this when i read this to it i didn't know anything about this movie at all i kind of assumed that it would be like some kind of action thriller or something <laughs> you know where he was playing like a sort of hitman whose surname is tag yeah he uses arms a lot he, <laughs> he arms uses his arms all the profession. time yeah but this feels like a bit of production um disaster one-upmanship after justice league it's like how what's the next viral story that we can spread about like how shit our movie is probably going to look and then I watched the trailer for it, and I have to say that I couldn't tell. Like, I think this might be the best CGI arms we've ever seen. Maybe like, this it... is like James Cameron esque, like <laughs> pushing the technology forwards. Do you think just there's some like struggling VFX company want to get their name out there? And they've just said they've done this. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like did you uh, did you see the social network? Mark Zuckerberg's face. We did that. Like, what are you talking about? It's like, oh, you didn't know? Yeah, his entire face was CGI. It was because, all CGI. Yeah, I guess it's like. CGI has advanced to the point now where it's vaguely plausible that there could be this stuff that goes completely under the radar. Yeah, I did know read a later story about that where it seemed to be. I mean, it, it did sound like it could be a prank or you know just, or a, just jo- a joke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I think there was some truth to it in that he broke both his arms. Or there is a picture them. here of him with two like yeah casts on each arm. Well, I so. think that's the thing. The CGI is removing the casts rather than replacing his arms completely. So it's a bit of, which I think is easier to do, I would imagine. I imagine, so yeah. Well, given, if he has real arms, but they've just removed the cast, then like in the scenes where he's wearing like a suit jacket, for example, presumably they can just be going over the casts. They had to cut all the topless scenes. But is he going to spend a lot of time with his arms at the exact same angle because he can't, I don't know. It's definitely made the movie a must watch for me. A must watch. Given that when we saw Justice League, like literally the first frame of justice league is the like mustache problems like are visible from from the instant the film starts so you're already laughing like which is the reaction they want <laughs> obviously yeah. so i'd be i would be hoping for a similar thing in this where his like egregiously computer generated arms in every scene <laughs> the opening scene <laughs> that was yeah. a weird opening scene you know like we got a total problem like joss weird comments like maybe a sort of vlog of superman with a cgi face to talking, start the talking film? about why he's like a hero or something just to, it's just like a big um like notice that appears at the beginning of the film that says like this won't be as grim as the previous ones superman is nice now yeah, very odd. But anyway, I just see it. Gotta go gotta go see this. I mean how how would you like interact with different objects and stuff like Just very stiff. Just very <laughs> very stiffly. Especially because, like they say the in the premise of the film, uh when they're playing this game of tag all the time, Renner is the guy who has never been tagged. They've been playing it for like decades and they can never get him. He's just too good at it. It's too fast. But that requires a, that's a lot of physical action in this film. It's not he doesn't spend his whole time behind a desk or whatever. He's he's running about avoiding getting tagged. Yeah. So I feel like arms. His arms are going to get a real workout in the movie. Anyway, Danny. So 
Film Chat, that's the podcast we're currently recording, but what's it about? Why why is anyone listening to it? Let me tell you, let me, let me tell you, let me tell you. It's a podcast all about Sam Foster, a man who ends up in a coma after being mauled by some lions because he was hiding in a zoo because he's being chased by his girlfriend's jealous ex-boyfriend and his friends. While at the hospital in the coma, the unscrupulous Dr. Wittgenstein and his assistant Helga... Uh, declare that Sam is dead, even when he's still got brain activity, so they can implant his brain into a gigantic robotic T-Rex. After his brain is installed, Sam escapes and wreaks vengeance on his high school tormentors and is reunited with his girlfriend, Danny Moran. Danny realises the dinosaur is Sam and begins a search to find a more suitable body for him. However, Dr. Wittgenstein is in hot pursuit of his creation. This leads to a chase that ends up with Sam killing the Doctor. Police officers then arrive and fire and destroy... Uh, the mechanical dinosaur. But I, don't worry, Danny manages to recover Sam's brain. In the end, I take it home with me and I hook it up to a computer with speakers and a video camera, which is temporary until we find a proper body. Though, set <laughs> through this setup, Sam is able to speak and see, which allows him to view me performing a sexy striptease. This causes the brain hiccups to start sparking. What? It's what I would be saying is <laughs> an adaptation of the actual film, Tammy and the T-Rex, starring Denise Richards and Paul Walker. <laughs> So wow. actually, I was trying to find like a Jurassic World esh movie, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that uh, and that's boy, actually that's actually a film. Boy, did you? Boy, did I? This is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Dame Ryan, and join me is a man who I would love were he a giant robot or maybe a tiny robot or in any form, <laughs> physical or otherwise. <laughs> Sam Foster. Hello. This week we're reviewing Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom, a film about those beautiful and deadly creatures dinosaurs they should never have been brought back and it was horrifying scientific hubris to do so but now that they're here they must be saved and also feared do not underestimate them they will destroy humanity additionally they must be protected at all costs from humanity except for the genetically modified ones they are abominations and they must be destroyed we'll also be discussing the nightmare world of an increasingly megalomaniacal matthew vaughan uh, the trailer for Peter Jackson's new fantasy epic, and the latest insightful comments from everyone's unproblematic fave, Woody Allen. Well, that should leave just enough time for me to finish building my seaside log cabin in the idealized, rugged, masculine mode of Chris Pratt's Jurassic World character, Owen Grady. I'll be doing this in between making my own denim, constructing a vintage hot rod, uh, working the fuck out all day long, <laughs> playing pool and knocking back brewskis with my bros, Rearing a pack of massive dogs and watching lots of normal porn. I am the perfect man. Children and women swoon whenever they encounter me. Every kid I meet immediately calls me dad. And every woman also calls me daddy, but in like a sexy way. <laughs> films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. A good, good friend, Jake Hoskins, got in touch with us with the following message. Jesus Christ, have you seen what Woody Allen said about hashtag me too? Is it just me or does it sound exactly like a Donald Trump quote, almost word for word? Here's what Woody Allen said. I don't know whether to try to do Trump or Woody. Just, uh, both at once. That's impossible. All right. He said, uh, as I say, I'm, I'm a big advocate of the, the me too movement. I feel when they're find people who harass innocent women and men it's a good thing that they're exposing them uh, but you know i uh, I, sh I should be the poster boy for the me too movement because i've worked in movies for 50 years i've worked with hundreds of actresses and, and not, a, not a single one the big ones famous ones uh, ones starting out have ever ever suggested any kind of impropriety at all i've, I've always had a wonderful record with them we we, I don't call uh, yourself the poster boy. That's a bad move. Does it? Or should it have a poster boy? <laughs> <laughs> this movement is about 
the you know harassment and like assault of women. Yeah, he's gonna be the poster boy. <laughs> who's, who, what, what, who's, who's gonna be the male face of this movement? <laughs> Gosling, the perfect man, unproblematic man, Paul Rudd. Yeah, I mean, it's not. He doesn't like do himself any favors, does he, Woody? Like every no. time he opines on these things now, he just he just makes it like worse and worse. Yeah, he should get a publicist or something. Yeah, and I can see what Jake means about it being kind of Trump-like. It's like I have the most respect. I'm the most feminist man in the world. Ask any of ask anybody. Every woman I've ever worked with loves me. (laughs) I mean, that's clearly not true, is it? Yeah, when they sort of sued him for child abuse or whatever. That's yeah. Don't think she. That is impropriety that you've been accused of, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's strange one. Strange. It is kind of odd because. That is, um, his statement kind of mirrors Dan Keaton's speech when he won or was received the Lifetime Achievement Award, the Cecil B. DeMille Award, the Golden Globes, yeah. which he talked about how he'd written so many great roles for women. And, like, I think at the time, like, Blue Jasmine had just come out and he's like, started with, like, Lardy Dar and Annie Hall, and it's, uh, now it's Cate Blanchett. And he has directed the most women to best. Acting Oscars. Oh, really? Such a weird claim. Yeah, it's yeah. Diane Keaton, Kate Blanchett for Blue Jasmine, Penelope Cruz for Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Diane Weist won it twice, I think, for Bullets of Broadway and Hannah and Her Sisters or something. Right. There might be another one in there somewhere. Uh, Marty Aphrodite. Um, oh, Mira right. Savino. Yeah, yeah. So, he's innocent, right? <laughs> because... Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like what he says is factually true, and, like, he has written more parts for women than most of his contemporaries. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, it, yeah, it doesn't seem like the right attitude to yeah, have, exactly. to say the least, does it? Yeah. I don't know if this is, like, if you're, if you think he's innocent, like, his complete bumblingness is just more, like, he must be innocent, because nobody could be this stupid, <laughs> you know, like... Well, like, most of the people who um, have been accused like a lot of them have come out with i mean he is not actually somebody who's had any fresh accusations it's all this kinds of like stuff from decades ago but his his kind of completely unasked for uh opinions (laughs) about this do somewhat mirror the responses of people who um have had scandals in that they're very keen to be like oh this is they suddenly overnight they'll they discover this like feminist movement and they're like oh i actually think this is a great idea and i'm you know so glad to have been caught myself and i really support it um but in like slightly off ways you know in this always this like self-justifying tone it's like i support women in whatever they do and the proof is me my <laughs> career and this is the me too movement is really about how great i am with women yeah um, so when dustin hoffman said i made tootsie so yeah exactly yeah it's exactly <laughs> I like played that. a man playing a woman so i think i i think i understand women yeah and also with like uh i think we discussed this before like a lot of the people who've been uh, accused weirdly their output mirrors it in some sort of like i've already done the art about my crimes before they were exposed yeah like, yeah the music yeah. is incredibly confessional stuff about how terrible men are and like there's a whole plot lines in um master of none about creepy men and aziz and zara apparently sort of fits that pattern of behavior <laughs> and uh, yeah yeah like the same thing with like does Hoffman. it's like oh you know but I'm aware of this stuff. I just chose to ignore it. There's something also a bit ironic about the fact that Woody Allen's like entire career is based around having this like ironic, self-critical sensibility. Where yeah, he's yeah. always like making jokes about his own persona in this very knowing way, and that just is d- that's gone now. <laughs> you know, like that's there's there's absolutely no sense of this um, this sort of like dry, self-deprecating humor in this comment at all. It's just uh, I'm great. I'm the best person. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. there's no way that this like someone who's throughout his whole life has um been tossing off jokes every second should now sound like the most humorless person in the planet which is donald trump a man who's never even smiled <laughs> like let alone made or understood a joke <laughs> yeah that's probably true there's something that i saw someone pointed out about trump recently that's like he never smiles or laughs like he always looks like the same he's always got the same expression <laughs> yeah yeah very odd odd fellow Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated, Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid, Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's fit to print. Hey, you know what grinding my gears this week? This is not like a steampunk. That's <laughs> good. No, that's a really hey, good... Hey, grinding my gears. The Mortal yeah. Engine's... 
full-length trailer was released. If you're not familiar with this, it's the first in a quartet of books released when I was a young, impressionable young man, and there weren't any Harry Potter books out at that moment, so I was like, I'll get my fantasy fix. And the premise is, after some kind of cataclysmic nuclear war, all the cities have become little mobile tanks, and it's some sort of like capitalist uh, writ large where the big cities eat up the smaller cities for resources... It's a metaphor, yeah? Yeah. And uh, it's a brilliant book, and I was like eagerly anticipating a film adaptation. Peter Jackson bought the rights a while ago, and now a guy called Christian Rivers is bringing to the screen, but he's Peter Jackson's producing it, and his wife, Fran Walsh, has write, written the script. And I saw the trailer, and I was like, shit, mate, you fucked it. It's, it's bad. <laughs> There's a lot of things I don't like about it. They've changed from the book. They've aged everyone up in the book. They're like kids and sort of 14, 15. And, and now they're, they're hot teens. They're hot, well, not even that. They're like they're late 20s. In their 20s, right. Which I think is a big mistake. It'd be like uh, the Northern Lights if Lyra was like 25. Yeah, yeah, weird. Weird. But the biggest thing, which is annoying and has got the internet up in arms, is that the female lead, Hester Shaw, uh something you know a key part of her character is that she has this huge scar across her face she's already got one eye and she's described in the book in like quite a lot of detail about how disfigured she is so much so that when she like reveals her true face everyone is taken aback and the movie version has made her into a sort of glamorous sexy scar where she basically looks the same if anything it's like a cool badass you know tattoo yeah yeah and I was livid. I think this is equivalent to making Tyrion Lannister like 5'10 or something. It's like, it's a key part of the point of the book. And also, there aren't that many scarred women in films. And facial disfigurement is a thing. And this is a very kind of cool character. Yeah. Sounds like and, an opportunity to, you know, move things forward on that front, basically. Yeah. I was, well, like, you know, I went down a sort of Google hole. That's a word. Yeah. You, like, you went down into your Google hole. I went down on my Google hole of like, scars in movies and there have been films about like recently there's that movie wonder with jake and jacob tremblay or yeah, whatever but people yeah. with facial disfigurements where it's like the whole point of the movie is this and then there's also movies where i mean in the history of films where like scars are just used predominantly by villains it's like a real like bond villain type thing or in westerns they've always got like an eye patch or a scar to show how mean they are or on the flip side it's like when the heroic characters it's like nick fury or similar authoritative figures where they're like it's just a visual indicator of how badass these generals are or whatever yeah yeah or like snake plissken i guess is a similar thing yeah but there's very few examples of women with scars uh, in movies though recently there was the character in wonder woman the sort of evil scientist lady who had a sort of fake jaw that's one example i could find and also lena headley's character in dread and they're both villains yeah and I was like, "This is a real opportunity for." Because if you look, if you look hot, you're you're good. You're intrinsically a good yeah, person, yeah. and uh, if you're ugly in some way, you're evil. Yeah, but there's a point in the movie about, or in the book at least, about how she's been ostracized because of the way she looks, and her sort of friendship with the male lead, who's like 15 in the book, but is now played by former Misfit star Robert Sheehan, who must be like 30 now. Yeah, is the whole point of their relationship is that he's. He's a very kind of British character and he's kind of like bumbling and a bit shit at everything, but he's just nice and doesn't judge her on her appearance. And she's, he's like the first person she's met who's like... Doesn't, re doesn't react. Doesn't react yeah. in the same way. Or like he does initially, but like quickly gets past it. And I'm like, you've ripped the heart out of this book, Peter Jackson. I don't yeah. understand. You feel like the way it would play out, you know, like in... Uh in reality would be like if someone's like very very beautiful but has this like slight slight scar they would probably she'd probably be like inundated with creepy guys who are like i don't mind about your scar i think you're beautiful yeah <laughs> but it's it's especially odd because the the most famous person in the movie is hugo weaving yes and it's being sold on the spectacle and like produced by peter jackson and it's kind of like trying to re light the whole ya thing it's like none of these people are super famous and um, why not have well, it's just these like horrible beauty standards isn't it yeah you exactly can't, you can't look like that bad also like her scar is like a reveal in the in the book and they've just given it away well i guess they, there's nothing to give away but how did that how would you hide it does well, she wear a mask all the time yeah she wears like a like a scarf over her face oh like, yeah that's in there that is in the trailer yeah the scarf but like yeah there's like it, the trailer also gives away like the massive twist in the book so all in all very disappointed I feel like it both looks like a kind of crappy version. Also, 
bad for representation. Yeah, and the trailer was bad. I mean, like in general, like I haven't read the book, so I didn't have any preconceptions or like knowledge of how it should be before watching it. But I thought the trailer seems like a bit nervously made. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't have like uh, the confidence to just present you with this world and ask you to see the movie, but like goes through quite a lot of the plot of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like it's this annoying thing that they do in trailers sometimes where they just show you an entire sequence but crammed into 10 seconds so that when you watch the movie, you know how it all plays out because you've seen it in this like accelerated form that's sucking all of the tension out of it, which is like really irritating bullshit. Well, like, yeah, there's a very cool, like, triple twist moment in the book, which has, like, been reduced to, like, a gif now in the trailer. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Really And it's like, you know, I can't... Women with scars should be represented, especially if, like, you know, not in some sort of, like, mandate way, but if this source material exists and it's important. And it's cool in that it's... The movie is not... You know, it's sort of about her disfigurement, but it is in the larger context of, uh, like, a fun... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of adventure movie. It's like you know, diverse. You know, Star Wars isn't about being black, but it's good that there's diversity in it. Right. Exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah. And this is definitely this is a very clear and consistent kind of discrimination that's in movies. That's not really talked about very much. No. Uh, the fact that like uh, having a scar or anything that's bad has happened to you is like shorthand for being evil. Is you know is like a terrible thing. Yeah, and it's also strange because I mean this might be a tenuous link here, but I remember many episodes ago which are all available on itunes seek them out we were <laughs> and talking, rate us rate and review us we were talking about i think i posed the question about is there anybody like horror movies where there are male leads who like go through hell in the same way like shelly duvall does or whatever yeah and i think we like kind of made the conclusion that audiences are comfortable with seeing women go through like horrible shit but they're not but it's like they're not comfortable seeing the physical effects of that like, you can put yeah. a woman through hell, but you can't see a woman, like, any kind of physical disfigurement. Yeah, and if you do it with a man, it happens off screen. Yeah, whereas, <laughs> like, people aren't uncomfortable with men going through that kind of hell, but you can, you know, they can have their face fucked up or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd happily watch, like, psychological torment of women. <laughs> yeah. If had like, you know, hours physical. hours on end. But but, they, but their beautiful faces must remain untouched. So, Peter we're, Jackson. We're pretty, pretty messed up. Messed up culture. Messed up. Peter, come on. Come on, Peter. Jackson. Peter Jigson, yeah, doesn't doesn't look good. Unpleasant. Here's some more awful news. So, <laughs> uh, one of our least favorite directors is Matthew Vaughan, who most recently made uh, Kingsman: The Golden Circle, execrable film, <laughs> um, and uh, has produced a, a variety of these kinds of sort of glibly superficial, like shocking films, like you didn't believe that I just went there uh, kinds of movies, including the previous Kingsman movie and Kickass. Uh, and he was also uh, directed Layer Cake before that and uh, produced Guy Ritchie's Stardust early films. and the best movie of all time, X-Men First Class. Yes, there you go. That's his career. Um, Every film a bit worse than the previous one. <laughs> and Layer uh, Cake isn't that good. <laughs> so, so yeah. Yeah, he's been on a steady decline from mediocre <laughs> since the start of his career. But anyway, his films have been uh, generally quite commercially successful and he is now setting up his own product, like movie studio by the sounds of things. Um, or like what's called Marv Studios, which is perhaps like a production company at the moment, but he's turning it into a studio that will fund its own uh, yeah. projects. And uh, he's got quite grand plans for this. According to Empire Online, he is planning a reboot of the Kick-Ass series, which is very bizarre. It's not very old. It was rebooting it. The series, there's two films. There's two films <laughs> and a bunch of comic books. I don't understand why it'd be a reboot rather than just a sequel. Like, is he just going to remake his own film or... What is a reboot, by the way? Um, like, wouldn't that be like a reboot? Would be like an be established like, famous franchise like that's long Royale, dead, right? Yeah, kind of reboot it, right? Yeah, like kind of one thing. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't feel like you can reboot something unless it's like you know it has to have some kind of significant cultural <laughs> yeah, impact. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, so that's the sort of odd terminology. Um, but Kickass, like the first Kickass movie, was um, some kind of. Uh, Rye kind ironic, of satire, ironic kind parody, of parody of superhero things. Win. Yeah, he's always trying to make Stardust was like a shit Princess Bride. Yeah, and then like Kickass was like a shit Princess Bride version of a superhero movie. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> it kind of pokes fun at the genre while also giving you the thrills of the genre. Yeah. Uh, and then like the second film just seemed to double down on all the like grotesquery and unpleasantness that was in Kickass. Have you seen it? I've seen I it. haven't. No, I heard it's it was a bit of just it, like it. not really nasty and unpleasant. Yeah, it's it's both that and also just a bit more incoherently made. Yeah, like, they found a director worse than Matthew Vaughan. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it just it feels like it was heavily edited in 
uh, post production. You know, like scenes just like there's a little voiceover in it for no reason. And right, like, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It looked a bit made on the cheap as well. Maybe, he, maybe what reboot means is like I'm going to direct it again. And we're going to pretend Kickass Two doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. And he will also be expanding his Kingsman property. So there will be a third film in the Kingsman series. Like it's just, this is particularly odd after like Kingsman Two. I felt came out to very little fanfare and worse reviews than the original. Yeah, but yeah. he's acting like it was this world conquering <laughs> film that's like everyone everyone wants to see maximum amounts of Kingsman now. So there's going to be a third uh, Kingsman movie, uh, which according to Matthew Vaughn will be the conclusion of the Harry Hart Eggsy relationship. That wow, we got to see how that got to see how that one concludes. And there's also going to be a spin-off film called Kingsman The Great Game, which will explore the spy organization in the early 1900s. <laughs> the two films will shoot back-to-back. This man is absolutely mad. And there will also be an eight-hour Kingsman television show and a Statesman film. Statesman being the American version of the Kingsman. Jeff Bridges, yee-haw, well, I'm just a simple whiskey distiller, but I'll... Yeah, but I'll like to whip and shoot people. Yeah. Um, so, like... The, the the statesman characters who were basically just sort of parody cliche Americans that are spies as well. American ones. Um, that universe needs to be explored following the world of Channing Tatum, Jeff Bridges, and Halle Berry's characters. They were all 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 of whom had glorified cameos in that movie. Yeah. And the idea that off the back of that, people want to see an entire film of this, is just makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, but someone's giving him the money to do this for some reason. Like, hope to God it all catastrophically fails. The best like. I don't know, I'm most intrigued by is like Kingsman in the 1900s where like all this sort of PC baiting stuff is just typical of the time <laughs> like <laughs> you know I mean? like, like they're already racist how can it be like sexist? racism misogynistic in 1900 it'd just be like normal wouldn't it like, yeah that's probably, why, that's probably why he's going back there is just an excuse to do it without you know people won't be able to complain it's like well that's what they were like at the time like yeah, yeah. of course my film just stars a bunch of white people who you know have black servants or something and it's like appalling yeah all those films are really set in the 1900s aren't they <laughs> exactly <laughs> mentally speaking yeah I do like his sort of yeah it's his hilarious hubris so like both those uh, the French like Kingsman and Kickass both had very lackluster sequels which no one liked so that's it <laughs> rebooting the whole thing but it's it feels part of this weird um like excessive amounts of content that exists now i don't really know what's going on like why is there so much money to make all this random shit that no one wants it's like this, that the whole netflix thing of uh churning out absolutely vast quantities of movies and television shows and just you know no one seems to care if anyone's watching them or not uh and now uh, matthew vaughn seems to be doing yeah, the yeah. same like i don't like it's just such what? baffling who wants this yeah i don't know i wonder if you know people are a bit over it as a thing i hope they are because kick-ass i think like if it came out now it wouldn't be nearly be as successful it was like kind of edgy and cool or whatever i didn't even i never thought it was that good but it had something going for it but now like all these movies are so similar with Deadpool or whatever, or yeah, yeah. The yeah. ironic superhero is a cliche itself now. Yeah, so exactly. You, there's you can't really be transgressive about it by by making jokes about the films while making those films. Yeah, very much so. If only somebody with his confidence, but with like loads of talent, existed, think of think of the things they could achieve. It's a real yeah. It just feels like um, it feels like a sort of very on the nose demonstration of a patriarchal society in a way. This like fucking overprivileged, like son of an aristocrat, like asshole who makes these utterly obnoxious films, and uh, is just you know constantly failing upwards, <laughs> and is now is just like this like open sewer of like uh, stuff about how awesome rich people are. That just he just kind of spews out of him, and he's so pleased with himself, and he thinks he's this like hilarious, ironic dude, like undercutting all the you know. Uh, transgressing and surprising you at every turn while making like the most boring shit ever he loved that ricky gervais new stand-up album. exactly he yeah it's it. just that it's exactly that you know who loves kingsman count dankula yeah it wouldn't surprise me that's, that's a dankula that's movie. a dankula franchise we said that before but that should be one of our catchphrases this it's is a, dankula this is a dankula this is dankula shit there would definitely be a fucking uh, nazi dog that says gas the jews in his next <laughs> film there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that that will be in the film like that's that's a, that's a cast iron guarantee. Matthew Vaughan will put that dog in Kingsman Three. I really hope that's true, so we can play this clip back. <laughs> <laughs> I called it. Mark my fucking words. Timestamp this moment. Ugh. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Very good. Very good. But I am looking forward to it. Five stars. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. The big movie out this week is Jurassic World 2, The Fallen Kingdom, a sequel to Jurassic World, everyone's favorite film. We thought it was shit, but it made <laughs> like, all the money in the world, so obviously I had to make a sequel. In the sequel, uh, the Jurassic World was obviously shut down, given the massive fuck-up from the last movie. Spoiler alert, the so dinosaurs just, got yeah, out. They got out, yeah. And uh, But the island that the Jurassic World is situated on has a volcano, which has long been dormant. Not dormant anymore, it's going to erupt and kill all the dinosaurs and some people are like let them all die the government rules that they shouldn't evacuate the dinosaurs but the Hammond estate which was Richard Attenborough's character now run by his identical brother <laughs> James Cromwell sort of cosplaying Richard Attenborough's character he's the head of the estate but it's run by Rafe Spool as a I would say suspicious <laughs> suspicious slick guy uh, hires Bryce Dallas Howard who in turn uh, hires Chris Pratt to go to the islands to help rescue the dinosaurs when he says to take them to sanctuary. I don't know if he's trustworthy. And uh, Chris Pratt is sort of lured back because he's got a special relationship with one of the raptors called Blue. It's like his pet. It's like his dog. It's like his dog it's or like something. His killer dog. But would you know it, you know. Just the, you can't contain the dinos. Can't contain. Life finds a way, damn it. Yeah. And here is a clip of Bryce Dallas Howard's character. Uh, formerly frigid bitch now uh, sort of dino loving eco warrior or something yeah she's sort of reminiscing about how much she loves dinosaurs and uh, Chris Pratt's a bit regretful about his part in bringing them back do you remember the first time you saw a dinosaur first time you see them it's like a miracle you read about them in books you see the bones in museums but you don't really believe it they're like myths and then you see the first one alive this is not your fault but it is this one's on me i showed him the way so i think it's safe to say we do not have particularly high expectations for this movie the uh bad director of the previous one colin i learned that his surname is pronounced trevorrow Trevorrow. and it's supposed to it's supposed to rhyme with or like it's got the same kind of intonation as tomorrow so not trevorrow as i'm sure most people say but colin trevorrow he is out and the director j.a boner is in for this one who's the director of the orphanage and the impossible and the monster calls yeah most recently and so it might have been hoped that he would bring a kind of like different flavor or approach to this movie, which he does in some ways. But in most ways, it's a very cautious sequel that essentially repeats all of the mistakes of the original film. Largely, like, I think there's basically the key error is that the Jurassic World, which is essentially a remake of Jurassic Park, as well as being a sequel, and was remixing all of the familiar elements from Jurassic Park, but in ways that just makes massively less sense. The whole idea of uh, dinosaurs being this like uncontainable uh, natural force uh, that's like kind of unknowable and you know dangerous and beautiful uh, has been massively confused by having like some of them be like intelligent dog creatures that are kind of <laughs> your friend like there's kind of good dinosaurs and and bad dinosaurs now yeah. and so there's kind of, and like there's sort of different factions of them and some of them are like genetically modified ones and even though all of them are created by people so like they've all been created by genetic scientists but the ones that are kind of like 
spliced genes between two different dinosaurs they're kind of evil abominations for some reason like the whole kind of message of it is very confused and it's also uh this is a problem in the initial movie that's also true here the heroes the sort of equivalent of the sam neill and laura dern characters from the previous ones are now directly responsible for the disaster which they are like tackling with yeah in both films which like also massively confuses things because it means that they're really not that distinguishable from the villains in <laughs> so they're just they're just except they're just kind of like nice or something so it sets itself up with all these different problems uh and one of the most like egregiously offensive things about jurassic world was its really retrograde gender politics which is also not a problem that existed uh, in jurassic park and they have pretty much doubled down on those yeah. it, it doesn't have the same thing of like setting up bryce dallas howard as like a bad a career woman bad not interested in children that's bad women shouldn't be like that and then by the end her she learns that it was a you know great hubris and folly for her to try to pursue a career builder in business <laughs> or something uh and she should instead just be a kind of like you know natural nature spirit who loves men and uh, kids and in this film it doesn't she doesn't undergo a similar kind of like or equivalently bad trajectory uh, but Chris is Chris Pratt's character, who was just intensely irritating before, is very much unchanged. And the, the big red flag early on in the movie came for me, which is the scene in which she goes and visits him. So when Jurassic World came out, not to like go on about this too much, but like, do you remember like uh, Joss Whedon yeah, was really critical out. of an early kind of tri- uh, clip of Jurassic World, which was the first scene in which they met, um, and uh, he's like cleaning a motorbike or doing some you know kind of manly stuff, and then they have this like really really shit like banter uh that sounds like it's out from a different decade uh in which she's kind of like stuffy and stuck up but obviously fancies him because you know who wouldn't any like any human woman of course uh and he's just kind of like a dismissive jerk but in a really sexy manly way uh and then in, in this like this time when she goes to visit him and he's literally building a house an entire house by himself <laughs> and like some beautiful seaside coast like that's what he's like they've broken up since the end of the last movie and now he's like out there building a house and I was just like, I just, that's just unbelievable. It was literally yeah. like a joke. I was so irritated by it. <laughs> it's like, this is not bode well for this movie. Yeah, I mean, I think it is an upgrade in direction from J.O. Bayona, but the script is still written by Derek Connolly and Colin Trevorrow. And, uh, well, not to give too much away, but there's like all these digs at Trump. Toby Jones plays basically a version of Trump, like a man, silly man with stupid hair. Yeah. And there's a bit where someone calls someone a nasty woman and uh there's references to that but it's the, like i think the nasty woman thing is i was actually wondering about this at the time because isn't that yeah it, it was right it was a nasty woman that was hillary clinton i'm yeah, getting confused between that and a, and a bloody difficult woman which was the Theresa may thing but yeah like you know the script is written by somebody who thinks the height of wit is making some trump character yeah and yeah it's just fucking bobbins like doesn't make any <laughs> sense it's like i don't know like I'm sure we could, you know, much like the first movie repeated so many of the tropes, I'm going to repeat a lot of points I made in the original Jurassic World review. This is the sequel, the, the lazy sequel. sequel to that review. Well, like, which is still true, but like, the whole Jurassic Park thing is not a particularly sequel-friendly idea. They no. like, mined all the ideas in the first two movies, and even the second movie was sort of a retread of the first one. But even so, like, the level of lack of invention is kind of really depressing. Especially with like, the James Cromwell thing of like, oh, Richard Attenborough's dead, so we'll just have it like, he had a brother who like dresses just like him and even has the same cane and just sort of talks Why like does he him. have the same cane? It doesn't yeah. make sense. Because it's just sort of incredible bit of iconography. But like, I feel Jay Bionna kind of makes his mark in the like set pieces. Yeah. And he's got a much better handle on them and does, I think you put it well when he's like, he does a better Spielberg impression than Colin Trevorrow yeah. ever did. And the highlights of the um movie are the sort of ones that have been heavily trailed yeah yeah like the um, the um yeah there, there are certain sequences in the movie that they like made a huge deal of in the trailers and those are quite like well executed i'd say uh, and particularly the most sort of bayona like stuff is in the second half of the film uh which takes place in this uh in the like grounds of this huge mansion yeah um and uh it has as a, he's already made a film about like a scary mansion which was the I'm orphanage. a gothic horror director okay yeah <laughs> dinosaurs um and as uh, kermade points out in his review there's like a moment in the, this is in the trailer as well actually of like this uh, kind of nosferatu type moment and there's this like uh german expressionist uh shadows creepy yeah, shadows yeah, yeah. and stuff and that's all that kind of stuff is kind of fun and it's like there are a few moments there where you kind of get this glimpse of what might have been a much more 
like enjoyable type of campy movie rather than this one that is has this kind of broad tone that suggests like a kind of underwritten children's cartoon yeah yeah and uh like that and that whole sequence like that kind of nosferatu sequence is kind of does not properly set up and it kind of feels a bit like burner was like i have this one i got i really want to do this and the the rest of film has to conform to my vision this (laughs) one second and it's going to look really cool and then the rest of it you can do what you want you know um so so yeah i mean there's yeah there's sort of flashes of things that are that that are that are enjoyable and there's not like probably more so than in the original jurassic world like if you're just watching isolated sequences yeah yeah, i would prefer some of these movies this this movie's ones yeah but yeah i think like yeah the uh doesn't have any of the charm of the original movies like just the characters there's like adding to bryce howard and chris pratt's incredibly irritating characters there's now like this sort of nerdy computer guys like yo god i don't want to die <laughs> which is a perfectly reasonable reaction but yeah like, yeah there's a kind so of bit broad. you've got to have the sort of beta male yeah and there's a similar thing as well of the kind of uh, uh miserable military dudes who just like deserve to die because they're just too grumpy and they're just assholes you know yeah. it's got this like weird view of human nature these things like everything is such broad brush strokes that you know, it's just like you're either basically intrinsically good or bad or whatever. No one really feels like a real person. Yeah. And I didn't. Yeah. It was the, with the sort of nerdy guy is quite funny because he's like he spends the whole movie doing like quite rational things like try not to die. And that you're supposed to like find you know, just mock him for it. There's one bit where they're in a truck and he's applying bug spray. And it's like, does anybody want some of my bug spray? And they're like, no, shut up, you nerd. But what? You know, do you want to get bitten by bugs? Is that cool? Is that, you know, is that manly thing to do? Is that super masculine? No, I think traveling through a jungle and applying bug spray is a very sensible thing to do. Yeah, I was team nerd. Absolutely, I was on that guy's side throughout. And I'll say the other thing that was annoying about the film, in the trailer, they very heavily used uh, Jeff Goldblum voiceover as he's reprising his role as Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park. But he doesn't leave the fucking chair that he is in in the trailer. You yeah. were saying you were saying last week that... Um, uh, the only bit of fan service you would be happy to see would be like having him get in- injured and then lie topless <laughs> on a table. No fucking chance. No. He, he doesn't. He doesn't move from the chair. They just wheel him in. And he delivers some speech about dinosaurs being scary or whatever. He just, you know, man's uh, science, the hubris of science or something. Um, and then that's it. I think that's. It was a mistake to include him because it just like reminds you of like why is the movie about him? Well, it's, it's, right. it's also like, it just shows you how little the franchise has moved on. He's there. He's given the exact same message he delivered in just the first film. Yeah. Because the events of all the films just um, vindicate him, like, over and over and over again. <laughs> so so it's just it's just odd. It's like, remember that speech in Jurassic Park? And now it's kind of a congressional hearing, and it's much longer and, you know, happens twice. Strange. It was rubbish, wasn't it? Yeah, it was pretty rubbish. But would you say you preferred it to Jurassic World now that you're yeah. kind of used to the flaws. <laughs> yeah, I think so because uh, the kind of haunted house stuff it's kind of cool. was like just a bit different. Yeah. Like it slavishly repeats Jurassic World which itself was a slavish repeat but also repeats like the Lost World structure as well but I think there's just like a bit more originality to it. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo She's the queen but she wants to be in radio So she starts a podcast with her friends And the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end The director of uh, Jurassic World, but not the director of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom Colin Trevorrow recently gave an interview to Uproxx his career has uh, been going through a bumpy patch lately. Yeah. He was scheduled to make the third of the new Star Wars movies, uh, but lost that gig. And is, that's now being directed by J.J. Abrams. And he also made this little like indie film called The Book of Henry, uh, which came out to like incredibly bad reviews and, you know, was a flop and was an all round disaster. If he was a woman, his career would be over. Yeah, exactly. But instead, he's actually doing fine because he will be making the third of the Jurassic World movies oh, instead. So God. he does have another 200 million budget movie to make. So I think he's completely fine. But anyway, he gave this um, interview to Uproxx in which they kind of trailed it in the in the article by saying that you know they were told... Wait, let's see what it says here. Um, the article trails the interview by, uh, by saying that it's going to be a kind of tell-all and the interviewer says, I was explicitly told that everything was on the table. Losing Star Wars, the infamous tweet, the reactions to the Book of Henry, everything. The tweet that he's referring to there that got people's backs up 
was after Trevorrow was asked on Twitter if he thought a woman could have been hired to direct Jurassic World. And he said, many female directors in our industry are not interested in doing a piece of studio business for its own sake. These filmmakers have clear voices and story to tell that don't necessarily involve superheroes or spaceships or dinosaurs. Um, and Women don't like that stuff. Soon after, he gave an interview in which he said it hurt his feelings that he was being used as an example of white male privilege. Mm, it hurt my feelings. Oh, no. So, uh, so now he is heading back to the media to tell all. And it's a funny interview because it's presented as this kind of candid hour with Trevorrow where it's, it's like, I don't care. You can ask me anything. I like, will talk about everything. Uh, but it seems to be pretty transparently a setup for him to kind of launder his reputation, basically, and yeah, make yeah. himself out to seem like an awesome dude. And he, he talks about how he was like really sad that everyone didn't like the book of Henry. And they, he puts that down to the subject matter being too like difficult or something. And he kind of makes it sound like a Me Too film. Um, he says, I made a film about holding predatory men in positions of power accountable for assault. And that is an uncomfortable subject to talk about. But we're talking about it now and we're listening. And I hope the negative response won't deter other filmmakers from telling these stories because we need to hear them both in life and art. So he's basically like, I actually made the perfect film for our times. It's basically about Weinstein. And it was actually too real. Yeah. Yeah. Despite, Despite being like coming from the absolute perfect place for the current times we're living in, everybody fucking hated it. And I think that says more about them than it does about me. Yeah, so it's just a slightly embarrassing bit of PR fluff from Trevorrow. The thing is, like, he is totally an embodiment of, like, white male privilege. Like, why else would he get the Jurassic World gig after directing Safety Not Guaranteed for, like, two million? Yeah. No, other, no woman has ever made that leap in budget. No, in exactly, yeah. And also, why is he still getting, you know, hired for Jurassic World after making such a fuck-up? I know, it's kind of, yeah, it's very amusing because it's obviously, you know, he's just got this idea of how he's going to spin all the answers and like retconning his the last like his terrible career yeah i know i had a scandal about being completely tone deaf about me too and stuff but i've thought about it and i'm actually now very sophisticated in my response to me too yeah if i hadn't have been so tone deaf would we be talking about it think about it yeah yes exactly it's like mark zuckerberg where he's like i know he you know hacked all the uh computers but i exposed some uh flaws in in your security software so I'm actually I'm the hero. You should be thanking me. I deserve a little credit from the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thing. I think it's it's definitely. Oh, why am I talking about the social network so much? It's my second second reference this episode. <laughs> made a big impact on you. It made a big impact on me. It's, it's a great movie. There's definitely this kind of art that people are trying to perfect of seeming like um, uh, really kind of self-critical and uh, introspective I'm and, and apologising. Yeah, exactly. While also like justifying themselves and admitting no one doing whatsoever. I mean, it's a bit like the Woody Allen thing that we were talking about earlier. Of like, I think Colin wants to be the poster boy. I'm gonna he be wants to be, exactly. Like, I'm the poster boy for the Me Too movement. Did you guys see Book of Henry? <laughs> um, like, for example, so he's, when he was asked about this tweet um, uh, that that didn't go over well, and then he was like, "My feeling, it hurt my feelings that I'm used as an example of white male privilege." It's like, kind of making it about him again. Um, and he, his response to this. He says, I made a huge mistake in speaking from my experience in a way that felt like I was speaking for the experience of others. And I said it in a way that sounded like a sweeping generalization, which obviously wasn't the intention. But that's not the point, the w- because words matter. I'm really sorry for it. Um, but it's weirdly, it's hard for me to wish it never happened because there are creative relationships I have in my life right now that stem directly from that. Emily Carmichael is one of them. She's a writer who's co-writing Jurassic World 3 and also wrote co-wrote Pacific Rim Uprising. So it's just kind of, it's sort of an apology. It's like, but it's a bit in the kind of category of like, I'm sorry that your feelings were hurt because I didn't express my intentions, which are actually completely great, uh, <laughs> clearly enough. Yeah, I just yeah. didn't, I just, it was an unfortunate choice of words, but my actual attitude and beliefs are in fact perfect. And now I'm really helping women get you know jobs in the industry. So who's the real hero? Yeah, there's also a bit of an interview where he talks about the backlash to like Bryce Dallas Howard's character in Jurassic World. He's like, I just wish in the future they would ask the actress about it. It's like, yeah, but like, you, didn't, didn't you, you hear her? On, didn't you hear on the promotional tour for that movie? She was really positive about it. Yeah, exactly. Listen, I know I wrote and directed that character, but I feel the person you should really talk about is the woman who had to say all those lines. Like. You know, you know, like who the real sexists are—the men criticizing me for the female character I wrote. Yeah, that's that's sexism in my opinion, mate. Mate, remember when? Um, Peter Bradshaw said the Jurassic World passed the Bechdel test because all the raptors were female. That was so good. <laughs> that was so fucking good. And they talked to each other. Presumably, something other than a man. 
probably like you know where, where's food and stuff was and he... like have you seen any dangers lately and things <laughs> yeah. like that was the irex a woman it's like a... i believe so yeah they're all women right on the they're all they're all, all women, women so just yeah jurassic world is actually incredibly feminist maybe it's one of the most feminist films ever made like it's got so many women in it they're just dinosaurs and they have so much agency as they sort of kill all the male characters. Oh, it's so empowering, really. So, it's such an Can't empowering film. Can't wait to have a daughter and show her Jurassic World. Yeah. Very irritating man, Trevorrow. Unimpressive. I'm glad he's not doing Star Wars. Yeah, especially after The Last Jedi, which was this real reprimand to shitty fans in a satisfying way. Um, and also had this kind of, like, messages in it about um, out-of-control masculinity and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which and he's like the exact opposite attitude to that, where it's all like the manliest men doing the manliest things that are awesome. Yeah, I imagine he would have done a shit job. I mean, you know, I don't know if J.J. Abrams is going to do a good job, but I prefer him to this guy. Yes. Anyway, Danny, what will we be talking about next week? What's what's on the slate? Do we have anything coming up? I don't know, mate. I don't, I don't know. know. Hmm. I know this is the last of the big blockbusters for a while. Yeah, because you know, no one wants to put on big movies when a. Uh... The World Cup's on or whatever. Well, there's Ant-Man and The Wasp. Oh, hey, you got to see that. So that'll be coming out in July, I believe. Um, well, can't wait to see the big things get small and the small things get big. That's going to be awesome. I guess we'll have to go see some sort of smaller films, which might be good and require some brain power to discuss. It's going to be None of us had to take notes about Jurassic World 4 and Kingdom. It's just, you know, you just you just turn on the rant, the rant drive. You, you you get in touch with your inner... Engage di- rant drive. Yeah, you get in touch with your inner Jonathan Pye. Get all those viral hits <laughs> for oh, being man. a great ranter. Uh, yeah so I don't know I guess next week could just be a surprise we'll just see what's coming out and I look forward to it as do I have a great week everybody see you then bye bye I'm actually nervous nervous this represents the final piece of my (laughs) Starry Night Dango 1500 piece puzzle this is no ordinary puzzle these Wentworth puzzles are the best Artist and here it goes. Here it goes. Oh, four months. Look how it moves. Look, it moves. It's like it's alive. Four months to put you together. Put together. In just one second. Just give it a What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.